0: You're listening to e-commerce Marketing School presented by Privy and Printful. Welcome back everyone. I'm super excited to be here with Myra Murphy. She's the founder of Capabunga. Myra and her husband Walt started the business together after meeting in the wine industry. And believe it or not, this is actually the second husband wife business on the show in two weeks. So it's super inspiring to see the success stories of their businesses, but also their marriages. <laughs> and Cababunga is a longtime Privy customer. It's been amazing to watch them grow over the past few years. One of the things I've always been curious about is how you combine wholesale and direct to consumer. So Myra and Walt's backgrounds are super unique, true wine industry vets. So it would be fun to hear their story and learn about what it takes to open up wholesale and then sell direct. So Myra, thank you for coming on.
1: Great to be here. I'm a fan of the show, so it's fun to be on the show myself.
0: (laughs) Awesome. So yeah, maybe to start, you can give us the overview of Cababunga and how you and Walt started.
1: Yeah, no problem. Walt and I met in the wine industry, as you said. He was a VP of sales and marketing at a winery here in Sonoma County, where we live today. I was a wine sales rep in Boston, mostly selling to restaurants. After I moved to California in 2001, we started our first business making wine as negotiations. That's a term most people wouldn't know, but it means basically buying other wineries juice. And then you do your own blend to make an affordable wine in a style that we thought we could sell. It's a very common way to make wine in France like that, but back then it wasn't common here at all. And so we sold that business in 2006 when traveling with our one-year-old wasn't really (laughs) the way to go. To make a really long story short, we took shares in the burgeoning company we sold to thinking that would be better than a buyout and would be our retirement nest egg. But uh, three short years later, they went out of business taking a lot of our money with them.
0: Oh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, quite a learning curve. A very expensive lesson, actually. <laughs> but like the serial entrepreneurs we are, we borrowed money from our parents and started making wine again in 2010. I know that's kind of crazy, but that's all we knew, really. And so this time we sourced grapes from a vineyard in Napa Valley. We found a custom crush facility here in Sonoma, close to home. And uh, created our co-fermented Cabernet Franc and Merlot. In the process of that, Walt had always wanted to do something unique with packaging for the new wine. And one morning, seriously, this is no joke, he told me of a dream he'd had in the middle of the night. About a cap that would reseal a bottle of wine so the open bottle could be stored on its side without leaking or fit in a fridge door without rearranging the shelves. That sounds like a quintessential kind of made-up story, but it's totally the, what happened. So.
0: so it was like in the middle of a dream, he woke up with this business idea <laughs> to solve a problem.
1: Yeah, the fact that he actually even had a piece of paper beside the bed to write it on was like, what?
0: It's crazy. <laughs> right, exactly. Smart.
1: And then after creating the prototype, because I'm much more of a physical person, I kind of need to see the actual thing. He's got the the ideas. But anyway, I thought once I saw the final product, I was like, everyone who drinks wine needs to have at least one of these. And so I named it Capabunga, named after the bungs that go on wine barrels, which used to be made of wood, but now they're made of silicone. And I started selling them to the people I knew in the wine industry. You know, we encourage these wineries to put their winery logos on the caps and either give them away as wine club gifts or sell them in their tasting room. You know, it was exciting at the beginning. We were selling 10,000 at a time. Wow. But after a year or so, I really got frustrated with, I wasn't even scratching the surface of wine drinkers. You know, it's a small microcosm out here in the wine country. So, I started thinking about what would appeal to me as a housewife and a mom who, you know, drank wine with my girlfriends. and thought, what about if there were some funny sayings on these slogans and things like that? So, I pulled some friends, put things like, I earned it, in case of emergency, remove cap. And <laughs> it seemed funny. And- <laughs> I and love food. that. And then uh, we opted to go to our first trade show so we could meet bricks and mortars and retailers. And our little yet expensive booth, <laughs> you know, was mobbed. After that, we knew we were onto something. Wow.
0: And so the, the core product was that cap that let the bottle sit on its side without leaking and letting the wine go back.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, after doing about two cycles of trade shows, people started asking, what's new? And we thought, oh, we've got another saying for you. but It wasn't enough, you know. So we had to start inventing new products. So because we came from the wine industry, we started there. And we looked at things like, you know, corkscrews and champagne stoppers. And we did those first. And then we moved into sustainable, reusable kitchen tools for preserving bread and cheese. We're avid foodies, so we just kept looking at problems we had at home and then invented solutions to those problems.
0: That's amazing. And to start, it was all through some of the wineries that you had relationships with and through the trade brick and mortar through wholesale.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we didn't really know how to get to these retailers other than the trade shows. So that was first the one year of wine industry just wasn't enough to really grow the business. So that's why we do it. Yeah,
0: And so where are things today?
1: Well, we're not a multimillion dollar business, if you can believe that. But if Amazing. the pandemic and our history has taught us anything, it's that the top line number isn't as important as the bottom line number. So we really try to focus on that. You know, Capabunga is still our number one product. Uh, you know, we have over 200 designs and, you know, 10 million caps plus sold here. But we have a new product, the Market Tote, which we bought. Uh, we produced after purchasing a company a few years ago. And it's for taking to the farmer's market, and it's turned into our number two. And, we, you know, we sell to stores like, well, the Cap's Total Wine, but the market tote to stores like Store La and Food 52 and some really great, great partners there.
0: Wow. And they kind of put their logo on it and their own stuff, and they, well, they sell?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we still do a ton of custom to this day, but, you know, stores like Store La just carry, like, our market tote. Total Wine carry our fun sayings. The people who tend to do custom tend to be wineries or specific businesses, things like
0: that. It sounds like an incredible run. And I think as you talk through it, like it seems so obvious to you, right? You had relationships and you understood and you're selling 10,000 at a time. Like, I think there's a lot of people listening that would say like, holy crap, Myra, like, how can I try to get into wholesale or retail? Like any advice on what it actually takes when you're trying to get in the door on some of these larger deals?"
1: Well, I think with us, these retail stores, I mean, these stores, sorry, <laughs> these trade shows tend to be, there's the tiniest independent there, and then there's the biggest box stores. So they tend to look, the bigger box stores tend to look at what booth is mobbed. So I think that's how we met some of these people. You know, we really went the traditional route for wholesale. We showed up at a trade show, and as I like to say, we, you know, we flogged our wares. But to be honest, a lot of people think that seems kind of dated. But I wouldn't change that. We learned a lot from about our business from fellow entrepreneurs. We got connected to manufacturers reps around the country. We've now lots of reps, seventy or so, representing our line. But there's all kinds of online wholesale platforms, though, new ones. The biggest one's probably Fair, uh, but there's a Bind and Tundra and a number of others. They work like virtual trade shows, where a retailer can view the products digitally and order directly from a manufacturer. And the platform gets the commission. It certainly saves the headaches and expense of a trade show, the setups and the costs. And you know, it helps with prospecting for new customers. But you know, I wouldn't lose that learning curve we got and the direct connection we had. Because some of those buyers from those first shows are still our buyers today. And they've connected it's amazing. people, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fantastic takeaway right there. Is like trade shows are a great way to kind of accelerate the number of conversations that you're having and get that real time feedback from those conversations from the people who would buy and distribute your product.
1: On a and large you know, scale. Yeah, you tend to think that you're just you're getting those relationships from the people you're selling to. But to be honest, just when you'd have lulls in your booth traffic, you know, we'd talk to our neighbors and you know, we didn't know the <laughs> this industry. So that's how we learned.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. And so I think a lot of our listeners probably start by selling direct. And then maybe they get aspirations or they hear a story like yours and they want to get into wholesale. Like any advice for when might be a good time to get into wholesale or trying to get into wholesale?
1: Well, you know, I think a lot of people nowadays, they as you say, they start with direct and then they think, okay, well, I've got a good amount of traction. The likes of Warby Parker and Allbirds have bricks and mortar stores now. But to me, those are the mega success kind of stores. But as far as getting into wholesale. I would probably recommend starting with some of these digital platforms. You know, there's a lot of people on the digital platforms and it's hard to stand out and be different. I mean, we're a top shop on FAIR, so that helps us get noticed. I think just as you start to get retailers, make sure you're really consumer centric. It's the same kind of stuff that you do in D2C that you would do with these. So.
0: Yeah. And I imagine like part of this for founders who start in direct to consumer, but then try wholesale, like rejection will happen. Right? And, like, you should be prepared for that and be okay with that. I think that's going to be a natural part of the process. I, I mean, I don't know what it's been like for you both, but like were there times where you just hear no, no, no from wholesale buyers?
1: Yeah, you know, definitely. And but then, for every one of those, there's one that completely surprises you. One of our biggest customers to this day is someone that it was seriously I, an email I just set out at like four thirty on a Friday afternoon. and, the time i was home i was getting an email can you send samples first thing (laughs) the next day so you know you do get rejection but you know i'm a girl from belfast northern ireland and i grew up with lots of (laughs) rejection and discrimination in my day so plus i trained in boston with uh, a wine female wine sales rep that was good too
0: oh i can only imagine i can only imagine that's awesome so yeah so now you and walt have decided that you're going to get into direct to consumer. I know that's where we're working together on the privy side. Absolutely, it looks like that's off to a good start. Still on early days. Like, how has that been going from year end? Well,
1: and I think we were a fairly early adopter of your email platform. You know, and originally that was going to be our direct to consumer kind of way. We were using Mailchimp before, and but then we started to see with segmentation we could really speak specifically to our different customers. And that includes our sales reps. So we have segmentation. One set of emails goes to our reps, one email goes to our retailers, and then a different one will go to our direct-to-consumer. So it just means that we're not talking the same way to a pharmacy as we talk to a winery. So that's that's awesome. great for us. It's really great. Good.
0: And so like overall scheme of your business, does wholesale revenue trump direct-to-consumer today or...
1: It don't for us, but you know, I'm sure some of your listeners could help us be better at direct to consumer because <laughs> we invent products. So, you know, they're, they're solutions to problems. So, you know, it's a perfect yeah. direct to consumer kind of item. We have functional products that are fun.
0: Of course. Of course. Yeah, I was taking a look. I, I think you guys have done a nice job with some of the like custom prints and the text on the um, the Capabunga. I love that stuff. So the other thing I noticed in just looking around is that from my seat, I think you do a fantastic job on Instagram. Is that all right if we cover that for a second? Sure, yeah, no problem. So you're relatively new direct-to-consumer. You've got over 20,000 followers on Instagram and a ton of engagement on every one of those posts. Like, were you personally using Instagram before you started rolling out the account and direct-to-consumer?
1: Well, no, I actually was using Facebook because, you know, I had friends from Ireland and friends from my Boston days away to stay in touch I think in the beginning there really, once we started using Instagram, there wasn't really a separation between our corporate face and our personal life. If you scroll back to the early days, we looked pretty woefully clueless. <laughs> but you know, you can see even in those early posting pictures of meals. My husband's a really good cook. So I would post great meal and then tag him, hashtag Mr. Capabunga Rocks. We didn't take any of those down because we kind of wanted to still look unique and not be fake. A lot of people, as they grow, try to look more buffed out. And, you know, we're very corporate these days, but that's not us because we reckon it's some mom and pop running this business and people want an insight into that too, you know?
0: Well, that's, I think, one of the big reasons people buy from a business like yours. It's approachable. They understand the founders and the story behind the company. And from what I've seen, they've become invested in the success of Capabunga and, and kind of rooting you both on. So I totally agree with that. I think it's awesome that you haven't moved too far away from You and Walt behind the camera, but any tips for people that are like newer to Instagram that weren't necessarily users themselves that are trying to build a a following like you both have?
1: Well, I remember a long time ago when I was getting into this stuff, I read or heard somewhere it's called social media for a reason that you wouldn't stand at a party and talk about yourself all the time because that would drive people away. That's a very Irish thing too. Like we don't like to be in the limelight really. So we resisted going on about ourselves because of hearing that. But then slowly we realized some people were using Instagram as a replacement for our website. So we had to be more cohesive about it, like we were on our own website. We also knew Instagram was meant to be visually appealing, which was a bit more of a challenge because our products are so different. So we settled on how to pull it together and make it cohesive was really colorful quotes about food and wine. And so then we put them on anchor colors for that month. And even though the products weren't the same colors, it just made it seem more cohesive. Those posts are the ones we usually get the most engagement from. And especially when we're irreverent or crass, that seems to go over well.
0: (laughs) Well, I think it's incredible. I mean, for someone that didn't necessarily understand the platform uh, when you first started and opened up the direct-to-consumer channel to see what you and Walt have built out on that channel is amazing. It's inspiring. I think a lot of people listening would learn a lot. And it's awesome to hear the story of, of starting in and, and wholesale, getting into retail, and and now going direct to consumer. But so Myra, I appreciate you coming on today. I think there's a lot of good nuggets and takeaways for the listeners. Oh,
1: thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I look forward to hearing right. more of your shows and learning more. <laughs> a lot to learn.
0: Yeah, and if for anyone listening, if you've got tips on direct-to-consumer, send them to Myra as well. Excellent,
1: thanks for that, Ben.